Now we're live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. My co-host can't be here tonight, but I'm joined by D.D. Pfeiffer of a lot of cool things. Currently on Big Sky, and she's in Falling Down, and she's Amaretto and Vamp, and we'll talk about these things. It's very nice to have you here. Hi, Neil. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you seem very pleasant. <laughs> oh, that's just a persona that I want you to meet. Um, thank you. That's very sweet. I'm a very happy person. Yeah. That's very good to see. Yeah. And I want to understand you recently, you know, Big Sky is like your return to, uh, to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I took off for 10 years to do, well, I thought I was going to go get a degree and it would take me like a minute because clearly I had no idea what I was doing because I didn't right. have college you know, a couple well. weeks yeah really got through you know high school in orange county graduating in 82 so you can imagine if you do the math there were no cell phones there were no computers i didn't know what a thesis statement was i don't know why two plus x equals six what's that x in there that must be a typo they're like oh no this woman really doesn't know anything so it took me 10 years to get a four-year degree bachelor's in psych um master's in social work and I took a year off to also get sober. Mom is in recovery. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I'm one of those people who feels like we got to talk about it. You know, in March, I'll be three years since I had uh, any booze, any alcohol. Uh, three years this March. Wait a minute. I'm four years this, this uh, July. Yeah. All right. Well, excellent. Very good. Yeah. We're newbies, man. Yeah. We're like the new, the newbies. Yes, yes. Much healthier though these last few years. Yeah, I'm really proud of you, by the way. And I know, proud how, of you. and by the thank you. Yeah, it's but to at all, man, during the pandemic <laughs> to not relapse. I'm not saying those who did, you know, or any more or less than anybody who didn't, but wow, right? That was yeah. challenging because <laughs> people I knew who didn't drink started drinking, and those who drank were drinking more. Those who never stopped smoked pot started smoking pot, <laughs> right. <laughs> My meth head friends, forget about it. They just were, you know. So yeah. there I, I was, listened. I listened to audiobooks, many, many audiobooks during the pandemic. I ate a lot of peanut M and M's, chugged a lot <laughs> of Coca Colas, and tried to not throw myself out the window. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Because God knows where I'd be right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was that like? Uh, did you miss acting? Um. Yes, in the sense, the artistry of it. Right. Artist, you know, because there's the, there's the art of acting. And then my Rottweiler is about to bark. Sparta. No, <laughs> we're not. And she's like, oh, we are. <laughs> wow. If you come over here, if you want to like upstate. Yeah, come over here. Come hello. Over. Yeah, say hello to everybody. <laughs> uh, so, Maximus, honey, I'm out with the barking dog. He's running. Um. Yeah, she's literally giving, she's telling me off. Wow. Directions. Rude. Rude. Party of one. Rude. Thank you. This is so me. You're lucky the cockatoo and the cat and the teenagers aren't running through. Um, or I should say, lucky. Well, it's only a couple minutes into the show, so who knows? It's so me, man. If you've seen any of my interviews, my podcast, whatever, it's like, this is Dee Dee. She just, this is it. I'm transparent. You know, no apologies. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So I took off, got a degree. It took me forever. I got sober. And um, came, and then my brother-in-law out of nowhere threw me a lifeline because I was at, uh, doing my last year in, in uh, my master's program and had not a clue of how I was going to financially support myself, right? Um, on a social worker's salary with two teenage boys and a bunch of rescued animals. I did not know. So me, I had no idea. I hadn't figured that part out. I didn't look right. at the fact you make barely 50000 a year. 
mm-hmm. like a year. And then they take taxes from there and then you're supposed to live off that. I'm really bad with numbers. So I'm <laughs> 10 years later and then I'm like, oh no, wait a minute. How am I supposed to make this work? And then mother earth and the universe kind of just helped me out. And David, my brother-in-law out of nowhere, texted me, didn't even know he had my number and said, Hey, I have this, uh, role for you named Denise in this show I'm doing called Big Sky. Are you still acting? I was like, <laughs> I am now. Yeah. <laughs> the word? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's exactly what I needed and wanted because I wanted to bridge my social work and my social welfare um, mm-hmm. skills to help people on a larger scale and bridge together like my fan base, which now is even bigger since I'm on Big Sky. Thank you guys for following me. Um, and pull that together to help people on a larger scale. And Big Sky put me back on the map to help me actually not just entertain during the pandemic, because Big Sky, I think, really helped people during a really tough time when everyone had watched everything. Yeah. And then we came out and we're like, here's something new to watch. So I was able to help in that way. And then on the other side, be able to help in social welfare issues, which is my eventual goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're doing both. That's uh, very commendable. Yeah. Well, it's kind of hard to be hands-on in the field when mm-hmm. there's a pandemic and I'm supposed to come back to a movie set and make sure that I don't have COVID and what have you. So what I'm doing is I'm kind of, putting all these ducks together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, I want to thank all my followers on Instagram who follow me. I just love every single one of them. I have like the best followers. I didn't even do social media until I got Big Sky because I didn't even know how to turn my phone on, let alone, you know, social media. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm learning. I'm a newbie at it. But I read, I do. I read what everybody says and they tag my pictures and I always do silly things. And yeah. um, I was very afraid of social media, but I've come to... I think it's really sweet and it's kind. It can be mean and snarky. I just oh, yeah, that's the internet. But yeah, that's just that's just ugly. I mean, Mama don't do ugly, so I just you know we can put that over here and <laughs> continue on with the uh, light that's out there. Yeah. So when you get on social media, um, you obviously Big Sky, and then I assume a lot of uh, fans, uh, you know, like the previous work. Oh my God, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm in this cold classic called Vamp that's yeah. still alive. I literally just yesterday did an interview. No, I, li- I, I answered some questions for an audiobook of mm-hmm. the Mega oh, cool. right? Yeah. And then I heard that they were going to, someone was going to read it. And I was like, oh, hello. Hello, I'll read the Vamp book for you. When Emma yeah. ran down the streets after Chris Makepeace, you know, I'm like, I want to do it. I'm over here, like in New Mexico, waiting to film Big Sky. Yeah. No, Denise doesn't have a lot of screen time, so I got a lot of downtime, and I'm trying to save the world over here. Um, but and all the animals in Albuquerque don't ask me how many rescues I have now. Um, but I'm like, please. So now I'm looking at possibly doing the audio version of Vamp, which is so great. But um, I hear a lot of uh, actors d- don't. What do I say? Embrace their their early work. Oh, mm-hmm. I do. I wouldn't be here without that. Are you kidding me? That it's all part of the the beautiful journey, you know, not being on social media all that time. Like, did you know that that vamp had a following or were you surprised? You know, I had heard my friends were like, did you really need to do social media? And one night when I was drinking, I got drunk and I think I made an Instagram. I don't remember. Of course. I don't drink anymore. And I got on there and I got scared because the minute I got on there, all these ex boyfriends, people (laughs) were like, Hey, Dean. I was like, ah, and then I just, never went back, you know? And then the next day I didn't even remember I had an account until years later. Now, when I went in and someone said, Oh, someone has your name. And I go, I think that was me years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore it. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. And the minute I went on, all these people were really sweet. They're like, Oh my God, you're back. Where have you been? You're, you know, I loved you in um, 
just everyone has like their favorite thing ones yeah yeah which i just love that i just think that that's part of the beauty of what we do right like we do the work for whatever reason and then you put it out there and then it means something else to somebody else and um, i assume you're the one with the blue check mark because i did notice when i went to tag you earlier there was uh, there was another dd uh blue check you know dude that whole like dot or check mark or uh, validation i don't know what the heck that shit is but let me tell you i don't fall into that because they told me well you don't have enough followers i said listen, uh, I see. listen yeah. the people who follow me either discovered me found me or genuinely heard me on an interview about recovery and alcoholism or social welfare issues or love vamp or something like I said, something in the past and they, they're following me or they they're like my goofy <laughs> things that I always post, which are just yeah. kind of and produce serotonin and dopamine. You know, that's what I'm all about. Right. Um, um, and so they found me organically. I didn't spend $20 to get 10,000 people who to buy them. Right. So right. I can get a check mark or a dot. Well, let me tell you, the people who represent me were not very happy with that answer. <laughs> They're like, well, the studios care. I said, okay, well that's their shit. That's their, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with my value. And every person that follows me, um, I know is following me because they want to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the check or the dot, but I will one day, you know, one day it'll organically happen. And Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't care either. I was just curious if that one was you. Oh, I have dots yeah. and check marks. They're called wrinkles. That's why I have a filter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, but not on my Instagram. <laughs> I've been doing the show since 2006. And one of our listeners uh, years ago was like, uh, you guys should get on Facebook. And I was like, ah, whatever. And, the, and he was like, do you mind if we make if I make you one? I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and obviously, it, it, you know, all this stuff took off. But See, like after this, Turkey, my, yes, my puppet is in Turk, Turkey. Turkey, of course, I have a puppet in Turkey, right? Yeah. I have a lot of wild turkeys where I live, actually. I have, I have literally wild turkeys out the door. And they say when they're in heat, be careful, they'll attack you. And I'm oh, like, really? I've, oh. I've never had, I know people no. say that. That I've never had any uh, issue with them. They're very friendly to me. So. Yeah, they have not attacked me yet, but I think they know that I'm good. I'm a good, I'm like. I, I, I do think animals sense if you're a good person or not. Yeah, yeah. But they're like, when the, the males are in heat, they'll attack you. I said, oh, and they thought that was going to scare me. I started laughing. I said, <laughs> I train Rottweilers, really. And I raised two boys on my own. Pfft, wild, horny turkey is not going to scare me. <laughs> <laughs> you want to scare me, you know, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, the whole Instagram thing, it's interesting. I think it's, it's what you make of it, right? Yeah. And I think um, there is a rabbit hole that we have to be careful of. Because I mean, even I can kind of catch myself saying, oh, I lost five followers, you know? And I have yeah. so little followers that I can see the difference in the numbers. And then I start to get my feelings hurt. And then I realize, hey, I said something or did something or maybe it has nothing to do with me. But that number can't be a, a part of my value, my worth, right? Mm-hmm. It's how yeah. about part of this journey and um, just continue being honest and give out good, positive energy. And those who are interested in that will follow. And if not, that's cool, too. That you know, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned it was uh, your brother-in-law, David Kelly, I believe, was uh, for Big Sky. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is your sister now. Um, was that? Last I checked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just wondering, because um, from what I read, your parents weren't uh, in show business. So how did that come about? I, you know, I assume maybe your family was into it, but from what no. I read. Oh, God, no. No, my family are like um, hard work, blue collar-ish uh, from farmlands in North Dakota. Um, my family, my mom and dad came out here when my son was, um, not my son, I'm sorry. Well, my brother 
was a year old and now him being an old fart and I'm just 10 years behind him. Let's see, 50. He's 68. So they came out here ah, 70 ish years ago, right? Mm-hmm. When there were orange groves in Orange County. And my dad had a little pup pup plane that he built. <laughs> plane, and he, oh, really? Dad, <laughs> he, wild, yeah. and he parked it like in the backyard. I mean, yeah. way back then. He came from North Dakota. Then they had Shell and then me and Lori. Um, and, uh, my dad was, um, had his own business, Dick's heating and air conditioning. My brother went into Rick's heating and air conditioning. Mom was a stay home mom. Um, and Shell was the first one who dove into the whole industry that we were like, what people actually can do that. It's, it's weird. Family member, you see them on fantasy Island, which is one of her first things she did. Now I'm really dating myself. I'm a dinosaur. (laughs) Um, yeah, she was on fantasy Island and we were, and she had one line. Who's that guy? (laughs) <laughs> and you had to watch it live we didn't have yeah, these yeah, yeah, you, had right. you had to be right there in front of the tv and if someone went in front of you you missed it <laughs> mm-hmm. that was it you know you want you missed it so um yeah she started it and then i was still in i think grade school or middle school or something and then when i was 18 at that point she was doing scarface so she continued to do really well and then i decided hey i wanted to try this thing called acting i thought i would give it a shot like anything else. Cause I've been working since I was like 12 and mm-hmm. my whole philosophy was I would work. I had so many different kinds of jobs. I get bored and, you know, and then I want to do something else, do something else. And then um, I thought, Oh, I try this thing called acting and I knew I'd probably get bored and quit. Um, I never got bored cause I was never good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. Was something to suck at stuttered. Couldn't remember my lines. had no idea what character was. Two years, I just studied painfully. And I'm sure looking back, all the scene partners must have been, don't, don't put me with her. <laughs> but I tried really hard, you know. My dad nicknamed me Hardhead, so I now understand why. I mean, to this day, 30 plus years later, I still don't feel like I ever really nail a performance or a scene or a character. I think there's always... Did you, did you love the actual acting part? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're actually connected to the material and the other actor and, and there's something especially organic that happens in the scene and the camera's rolling and the lights and everything's working and it doesn't get cut in the editing room and it right. lands. I mean, it's got to go through a lot of hoops before it lands on screen. It's such a huge success because so many moving parts have to be working together at the same time. And that's not always the case. Right. So when it does happen, you're like, oh, you know, and then you get to give that to the audience. Otherwise, the editing room floor gets to uh enjoy it or it was out of focus when you did it and it's hard to get it back you know so it's just those times and um those times in the moment in a scene that um because that's what it's about it's really connecting to a level and a place so your characters are for me colored and layered and interesting and you're pulling in the audience some way or making them hate you or whatever the intention is um pull them along for the ride right Mm -hmm. pull them along but a lot of people have to be working with you to Ha- uh, enable you to do that right lighting mm-hmm. editing directing um, music sound um, if there's a boom in the shot <laughs> that could be a little distracting for people like my brother who are like you were so good but then I saw that boom and I just checked out I'm like Rick what is wrong with you I was a good <laughs> you know, those guys who saw the boom <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like it's a low budget we couldn't refilm it just move on <laughs> right <laughs> I will say I didn't I didn't know this, and so I looked for it because when I was just looking up things uh, at the end of Vamp, you can actually see uh, you can see someone's hands holding the, uh, <laughs> the skeleton arm of uh, Greece. No, I bet you that was Richie. Richie, 
Richard Wang, I call him Richie, because he is one of the funniest, funniest men I've ever met in my life. To this day, we still laugh about everything about Vamp. I mean, honestly, the making of Vamp is so fun to talk about and to, like you said, to see those things where the two hands were in the shot. Oh, there's a lot of stuff. If you, if I were, or people, one of us were to tell you um, about, uh, and then the whole stuff with Grace, God bless her. Wow, that was one wild woman, you know. I want I always wonder what she's doing today, you know. Maybe she's one of those wild turkeys out there. <laughs> she could be, right. A wild I would just say horny turkey, but we don't know about that. But yeah. Turkey, but maybe turkey, a turkey. <laughs> but, yeah. but she's probably still wild, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did that come about? How did you get the role? Uh, I was reading for everything in in Hollywood, just like everybody else walking the pavement. Um, reading the script, going in and reading it. And it, thank God I was available to read for it. Cause sometimes you're not, you know, and thank mm-hmm. God they called me in and thank God Richard just said that he fell in love with me and that I was Amaretto. And I think he's right back then. I was very much like the character. So I'd say a little bit of acting went into it, but a lot of it was just really being transparent. I mean, I look back now and go, Oh my God, I was so, <sighs> um, life is just beautiful. Life <laughs> is there's vampires, but whatever. Right. <laughs> this <is> love. <laughs> I still like that, by the way, at 58. Uh-huh. Family still has to watch me. You know, I've been married three times, divorced. I still love love. They're like, do you have to love everybody and marry everybody? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've stopped the marrying thing. Okay. So I'm out in the middle of a village in New Mexico. <laughs> when COVID, I don't really ever leave. Um, but yeah, there's still that uh, loving quality. I just think that there's a a youthfulness that we all have when we're younger that I was able to apply to Amaretto. And she just happened to be even more like effervescent is like what I like to call her. Um, and just didn't have any filter. Uh, or it was like all positive came into her lens. Just mm-hmm. all she saw was positive. You know, that's why she could be in a birding building with vampires running around and still be talking to Chris Makepeace. I mean, what a great <laughs> character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is a very fun movie. Um, the thing about horror movies, there's, you know, it can be very dark and, uh, and I like, I like all different kinds, but it's, it's a fu- just a fun movie. It is. Yeah. Richard Wank is such an amazing filmmaker. He was doing a lot of cutting edge stuff at that time that other people weren't, I mean, with the lighting and all that, I mean, you had the blue lights and the pink lights and then, um, yeah, which is much more, you know, common today. Like a lot of independent horror movies I watch will use all the different. It's more was, I think it kind of started more like Italian horror movies. Yes. Yeah. He was definitely one of the, oh, are we drinking coffee? Oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Look at this mug I got. This is Denise. Oh, it's very cute. Isn't that fun? Yes, it's very fun. I'll show you the other side, but it has a cuss word. Yeah. I like to keep mine in something like this too. So it stays very hot. Mm-hmm. I drink a lot of coffee. I mean, I do too. So, well, yeah, we, you know, it's like you, normally it would have been filled with God knows what alcohol, but now it's just filled with a lot of coffee. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I I drink mine black. I don't know how you have yours, but oh, lots of coffee, mate. Powder, so it doesn't like cool the coffee down. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, are they really yeah. talking about coffee? We really are. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Richard Wink, uh, and he went on to do a lot of things. Yeah, Richard. I was looking at his IMDb. Thank you for reminding me. He texted me, and I didn't text him back. I suck. I really need to text him back. <laughs> the fact that we still, you know, randomly, you know, keep in touch. Um, but he's very oh, busy. Cool. Yeah. But I do. Uh, I mean, I really uh, owe him a lot. That was my very first starring role. So mm-hmm. it absolutely helped, you know, the trajectory of my career. 
Yeah. Um, where was that? Where was that film? Like uh, the underground scenes? Uh, was that actually underground? It looks pretty cool. Those were built in a studio. We filmed all night shoots downtown Los Angeles, and those were re- the, the tunnel scenes were recreated in a studio downtown. Okay. On a night shoot, except for the one shot at night when we come up and the sun's coming up, that was the only daytime we shot during the day. So we were literally vampires in the making of that. We slept during the day and worked at night. Yeah. That was some weird stuff. You yeah. see some weird things. That what, kind of things what kind of things do you see at night? And, and I was at night in L.A. But... Well, my car was stolen off the set. How about that? Oh. We had someone experiencing homelessness. Just Well, they left the keys in the car. And I guess the guy fell asleep who was watching our cars. At about six in the morning when the sun was coming up, we're done, right? People are going to work. We're done. And I went to go get my car. It was gone. <laughs> Because someone had just crawled in there, saw the keys, and drove off. <laughs> Wait, where, where do you mean? Like, my, my, where's my car? He's like, oh, well, d- where did you park it? I said, huh, dude, 12 hours, I'm going to park it right there. And you told me to leave the keys in. He's like, oops. Found it <laughs> later, and someone had been living in it. Um, All right. Well, yeah, at least he had somewhere safe to, to live. Yeah. I was in a rental. Um, let's see. We had sidewalks cave in while we were a truck was really? doing a, a, a shot, like driving down the sidewalk, sidewalk cave in tons of people got sick, dropping off like flies, including Richard. So we were losing weight. Like my wardrobe was falling off. Um, and let's see what else. Grace was, um, it was challenging trying to get her out of her room sometimes because I think being the artist that she is, she had Keith Haring, who's amazing, you know, painting her body. She had all these artists doing her wigs, her makeup, just all of these incredible New York artists who, um, looking back, I'm not sure were understood the process of the film making, right? But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So there wasn't all day long to, to do these things. And um, so often <laughs> a lot of banging on the door, we really need her out of the trailer. <laughs> and we never saw what she looked like until she showed up on the set. Oh, really? That's pretty wild. So it was always like um, exciting and fun and odd uh, jaw dropping. One yeah. time I said she came out and the whole outfit was two coils, <laughs> one coil right there, you know, marks the spot. Uh-huh. I think she had one on her tail and the two on her fingers. And I think one around her neck, just a coil. <laughs> and I looked, I was like, Oh, <laughs> we're like, that's, yeah. right. that's, that's what, what I was going to wear for the show tonight. But I decided not Four hours to put five coils on. First of all, <laughs> I, I didn't even think of that. Right. Right. Like we well, expect some elaborate thing. That really <laughs> took hours. And we're like, it was five coils. I got <laughs> And plus, we're first we're getting over the initial the whole wardrobe being coils, which was like okay. <laughs> it was looking back how phenomenal and cutting edge, right? But I guess yeah. I was I was just confused. <laughs> and then I was confused as to why we were throwing. Chris and I would do scenes that we weren't prepared mm-hmm. to do because we had to keep the camera rolling. There was no like sitting around luxury to wait and on lower budgets. You got to, you got to get a certain amount of film in every day or you can lose your film, which we almost did. So we were, Richard would be like, Hey, let's do scene 105. What? What scene is that? I don't know. Here's a dialogue. Go (laughs) throw the cameras over there. We're still waiting, you know, for, um, quails to (laughs) come out. Um, so her coming out every time was always something special and interesting and surprising and fun. So I can only imagine when people saw the film, what they must have thought, right? Because us actors were always like, Oh, look, look (laughs) (laughs) well, you were trying not to do it. You'd be like, Oh yes, I'm ready. 
of course. All right, all right. I read that um, uh, she she said after the movie that um, it was her idea not to have any lines in the movie. Probably, so, so I'm yeah. just wondering if uh, if like the original script did she have lines that you read? Oh, honey, I don't remember what I did for breakfast today. If I even had breakfast. <laughs> You know, there's a good chance there probably were some lines and she probably thought no lines, which yeah. looking back was a great choice, actually. Yeah, I think so. Well, considering we had issues with the wardrobe and then coming on the set with a vibrator, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> it. it was just in the air and look, I found my vibrator. And like, oh my God, and she crashes into the sound cart. I wasn't there that <laughs> I did not see that. So I'm, I don't know. This could be here. Right. She did talk about a vibrator a lot. Um, God bless her. I'm just saying you do you, boo. But I was, again, I was really young. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, is she saying the V word out loud? <laughs> That's nothing. She brought it to the set the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ah, I hate it when I miss the good stuff. Um, <laughs> actors, we couldn't find certain actors. You'll, yeah. And we found them the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. For, yeah. Uh, how about your wardrobe? Did you, uh, was that picked out for you? Did you have a hand in it? He's in the 90s. We got away with a lot more shit than that you would ever get away with now. I mean, uh-huh. kids back then were just naughty, naughty, and get you fired today. Back then, it was kind of part of filmmaking. You kind of went, oh, okay, right? Someone picking you up and they're high on Coke and they're asking you for, you want someone? I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Am I going to get to work safe? <laughs> um, my wardrobe was handmade by the uh, designer. It was mm-hmm. it, it was all like handmade from scratch, so that was super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, you talk about kind of I guess the the party scene uh, of the eighties. Uh, I guess how wild was that uh, at that time? I, I went to rehab three years ago. I mean, <laughs> um, along those lines, was uh, was that? Was that ever in your mind about going back to like, should I go back or can I go back to, uh, to acting, you know, and stay uh, sober? I, I love that you asked me that question. Cause I had a very strong, so with smoking cigarettes, I was, everyone who knows me knows I love to smoke cigarettes and, and smoking and drinking. They go together like peanut butter and jelly, just like trauma and addiction. They like each other. They mm-hmm. can't as well. Um, so, you know, whenever I quit drinking, my smoking went crazy. I started smoking. My drinking, you know, they went together. So for years, I always tried to quit. You know, when you when you know you got a problem, you're always trying to quit. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, why are you trying to quit? Or why am I trying to slow down? Mm-hmm. Because a normie knows how to normally drink. What that looks like for a normal individual. You know, you're probably like me. Why did you leave half that beer at the table, or half that <laughs> glass of wine, or half a right. bottle? Are you? I'll, you know, I'll finish. Yeah. I'll finish that. Like yeah. you know. For a normie, that's what you do. But for us, you go, oh, no, that that makes no sense in an, in an alcoholic's world or in a, an addict's world, right? So when I – so, of course, I never drank or used or anything like that while smoke or while filming. The same with school when I went to school or my pregnancies. So I was a high-functioning alcoholic, really mm-hmm. high-functioning. But that did not make me less of an alcoholic or an addict, right? But when I – one of the things I thought, and you hit it on the head, I went, oh, can I go back to that? not drinking how am i going to handle trying to bond with the crew and the cast without having those drinks after work or whatever i mean chris maypiece and i would have rap beers at five six in the morning because that's when we would rap so when right because you're working on that yeah work, we were drinking beer you know so you know and then the end or just smoking too i mean listen that's a whole thing too we don't really talk about um but you know uh, it, i had to use the same principles and um, same set skills I used to not drink 
and not smoke to continue not doing that while starting acting. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of triggers in the industry that I had been away from for 10 years. I'd forgotten about the triggers and they're pretty profound and they're on a larger level, right? Like my triggers in college or my real life are on a small scale in the sense it's only related to your children or your family or friends, right? Mm -hmm. How many people are watching this right now, this podcast, right? A lot of people, a lot more than just my little family unit or friends or, you know, so when, so there's every, when you think about something, it's on a larger scale, you know, on your Instagram or the the ABC promos with you in them, um, everything's bigger and more exposed. So you feel more vulnerable and it's that vulnerability that used to make me drink and smoke. So, ah, let me tell you, um, I think I have to work. I, I work on it every day. The other day I had it, I call them the ayahs. I was like, God, I don't want to go to a happy hour. And I was like, ooh, T-O-D-D, your alcoholic is doing push-ups. <laughs> Why, where, where'd that even thought come from? You love being sober. You love being the voice of what recovery looks like, talking about it, breaking down the social stigma. Why is your alcoholic doing push-ups to give you that, even the thought of wanting to do a, a happy hour, which is my favorite thing to do. Cheap drinking was my thing. And the little orders. And yeah, I loved all that. So I had to call some of my sober friends and say, dude, I think my alcoholic's doing some push-ups, right? And I called my uh, sponsor. And you know what's great about those people? They get you. They get you. You know, she was just like, oh, okay, well, let's talk a little bit what's going on. Um, and sure enough, uh, our, my son and I's cockatoo passed. I was harboring a lot of uh, all the five stages of grief. Yeah. The only one I liked was denial and anger. The other ones I didn't like. <laughs> um, and, and all those feelings going in were trying to bubble up. And then the alcoholic in me said, oh, we'll go have a drink and take care of all those feelings. So thank God I had people around me to go. That's all. That's all. He's he, she, they, whatever is inside of you. Just doing some push-ups. they're getting ready to go have a drink right so i was like well that's an option or i can go take the dogs and run around this dirt road and dodge the wild turkeys for a minute and then and then say you can have one when you're done with that and what do you think happens by the time i ran around and yeah right right you know i came home and went no i don't want to do that i'm good i'm all right this hurts but i'm okay yeah so um, what did you go back to school to do the social work um, to help people after you got sober or did you get sober? You know why you're doing that? Well, it's interesting. It's not uncommon for people who are traumatized or in their own dysfunction or ha- had issues as child to go into social welfare uh, professions such as M- MFT, psychologist, psycho- psychotherapist, social work. It's not uncommon, right? People think, well, you're fucked up. Why would you want to go help fucking people? And how can you, how can you help people if you're fucked up? You can relate better. <laughs> well, maybe because when they say, hey, um, I, I, my, my, bird that was not a pet but my best friend mm-hmm. i found had gone to the light when i went to go wake them up and i all of a sudden wanted a happy hour you get that don't you right 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 yeah it in your face you're like <laughs> i know what she's saying and those out there listening to this understand a normie might go well so you just choose not to drink well that's a normie's thought and now we have to do a little bit more work to get to that place if we could just say no, we'd be a normie and we wouldn't be talking about recovery. Right, right. 
they are two different sets of people and mindsets, right? And biology and all sorts of stuff goes into it. So um, I started because I wanted to help people. I'd always done re, um, volunteer. I was always volunteering. Project Angel Food for those people in the 90s uh, with AIDS that were considered lepers. I was out there delivering food to them. My best friend had AIDS. He passed to light because of AIDS. So it was a population I felt very close to. I would go to uh, children's hospital. These children are phenomenal. I mean, I was constantly doing volunteer work. So I hit a place in my career where I hit a wall, honestly. And, and I decided I wanted to help people. So I started, I went, I just walked up to a community college and said, hi, I want to help people. And they were like, okay, what degree do you want? I go, I don't know. I just want to help people. Yeah. I go, you right. tell me. I literally said, you tell me. And the guy goes, no, no, honey, that's not how it works. You tell you me <laughs> a, a psych degree. I said, sure. Is that, is that what psychology? Yeah. Okay. That works. So I just started classes, but then I didn't start classes. I had a lot of prerequisites. Like I said, I had learning disabilities. I didn't know I had, I didn't, I was less than a fifth grader <laughs> when it comes to my education. So I started the ball. What I thought was going to take me a year or two te- took me 10 years. Cause first I just didn't know what I was doing. And second, um, Along the path, I realized it wasn't necessary psychology as much as I want to help people on a larger scale, which is a social worker's degree, because we're taught biopsych, uh, like macro, meso, and micro, biopsychosocial. It's a whole different levels of uh, looking at a human being through a community, individual, and a macro, which is policy. I love the idea of looking at the whole umbrella, you know? So I, while going for a psych degree, I took a left-hand turn and, and decided to, to get a social worker degree did get a bachelor in psych, which helped my social worker degree. But then what happened was um, uh, a year, a year, uh, a year before my last year in college is when I hit my bottom. And my family was like, look, you're struggling. We'd like to do an intervention. And I said, you don't need to. I was already looking for 800 numbers, 1-800 addict or whatever, but I didn't know how to ask for help. I did not mm-hmm. know how to ask for help. And they didn't know how to talk to me about my addiction, which is one thing where I am an advocate for, which is how does one ask for help? How do we get rid of that shame that kneecaps us? Like I still carry shame and I'm almost four years sober. I still have shame, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nasty one, you know, and unless you understand what that shame feels like, it's hard to understand it. And so then you have the family members and then they have their uh, places in the family unit, right? Um, and it took me to go to rehab to realize that I went from the identified problem in my family and my friends and my small community to the identified possibility. And every day I say sober, I'm the identified possibility. And if I take a drink, I go back to the identified problem. So I get to ask myself, which one do you want to be today, Dee? It was kind of good to be the identified possibility when yes. listen, maybe no one else in my family has addiction problems, but they got shit. I mean, no one yeah, knows right. Right. shit. So I know they look over me and go, damn, if Dee can go to rehab in her 50s while going through menopause and leaving your two children who she loves more than anything home alone with her family and not talk to anybody for a month, intensive inpatient, cry every day with, with a bunch of other addicts and get through that and come out with a better perspective and a light with no resentment or anger and want to give back to people in a positive way. What the hell am I doing with my life? That even looks remotely like that. And that's where we are the identified possibility. Very good. Yeah. Isn't that kind of cool? I agree. Yes. Very cool. Yeah, sober. 
Because it's not fun being an identified problem. No. Uh, a lot of people are in the chat want to say hello. Uh, Jacob says hello. Matthew Hill. And uh, Wang Fist says, Howdy Vamp is one of my favorite films. Shame we never got a sequel. You know, Wayne, right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people on my Instagram say, when are we going to see a Vamp sequel? And you know what I always say? I always say, go get Richard. Tell him let's do it. I, I keep telling him, too. He won't do it. Probably because no one can find Chris Makepeace. <laughs> yeah, I, I know Robert Russer a little bit. I've had him on the show, and I've been around him at conventions. So yeah, he, and he's and he's doing a lot of cool stuff actually currently. Yeah. So yeah, he he, he comes back. And, yeah. I said to Richard, I think it had been I don't know how many years ago. One, two, three, four, five, five years ago. I said, dude, think about how fun a vamp sequel, but really do it in a way that people won't see it coming. Like, right? Um, don't do it the ordinary sequel way. Because then you could have some fun with it. Because you're never going to top the original, right? And yeah. Always a mistake to try to compete with the original anything. Like the original Gone with the Wind. Don't even try to redo that. Right, <laughs> Gone right. with the Wind. I'm dating myself again. It's an older film, young pups out there. Um, or whatever film that you think is like iconic. And I never really a good idea, I think, to try to redo them. No, I, I, I agree. I know I live near where they film Jaws and there's always talks about remaking Jaws. And- Dude, to this day, when I go into the ocean, all I hear is doo-doo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I go, I'm out. I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, that is, like no other film has ever done that to me. <laughs> that I just looking down and I hear that music and I'm out. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. But, uh, yeah, if they, I always think if they did remake Jaws, they'd really fixate on the shark. And really what makes a movie so good are the three uh, actors, I think, and, and their interaction. You know, the story with that is that the shark, they had a shark, but it looks mm-hmm. so fake. Yeah. They decide not to use it, and they only use little pieces like, of the fin. And that was the beauty of what they did, because it left it to your imagination. They didn't show you the shark. You just saw a little bit of the fin and doo-doo. And you went, ah, you know, because nothing's more scary than your own imagination and your own narrative and your own projection. Can you put your fear, whatever that looks like to you mm-hmm. in that dark water? <laughs> and that is really wicked. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I, love that. And, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with, the mo- with uh, Stephen King's it, but I always think that's why the TV version, the ending doesn't work so well is in the book. It's whatever you're the most fearful of is what Pennywise is. And how do you actually show that? I agree. I always think less is better. I mean, to bring up my sister's uh, film, Star, uh, Scarface, mm-hmm. Scarface, my, my rescue puppet named Star, Scarface, there was the, I think they had a version where you saw the guy actually being sawed in half in the shower. But I think for the actual movie, now I could be totally wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sure your people who are listening are like, she's so wrong, which is <laughs> my sister's film. But uh, I believe what happened was it was so graphic. They only used the shot of the, of the blood coming back at the actor. I'm sorry. That, that was enough for me. I was like, I get it. I get it. Bones are being sawed. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to see it. Right. Just yeah. with the blood splat. I was like, T.O. Mama's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, a few of the original Halloween. There's actually just a little bit of blood. You'd actually don't see the, the kills. Even Texas Chainsaw Massacre. People think it's really graphic, but it actually isn't. Right. If you, what, but it's funny. They think it's graphic. Because of what we do in our own minds. Our minds are really powerful. I'm so into like energies and, you know, all kind of paranormal. Yeah, I'm yeah. Mexico. Come on, I got to believe in this stuff. 
Who's, who is that your whose painting is that behind you? No, it's I'm in a rental, a really nice rental. Oh, okay. Sweet little house out here in a village. But this is all like New Mexico stuff. But I gotta tell you, I really I'm so spiritual and I love this stuff. I mean, this yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, beautiful. Like, hey man, um, yeah, and this little bamboo over there's all the dog beds and all the mess. I'm I, we, <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that out of the out of frame. New Mexico cow's head painted. <laughs> well, there you. Everyone needs a cow's head. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a little ghost in this house for sure because there's some unexplainable stuff. My son thinks I'm nuts, but whatever. Oh, interesting. He's Sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> AJ wants to know uh, how was it on set with Robert Russler? His character was awesome. Oh, hi, AJ. Um, well, Robert and I go back. I don't know how much Robert talks about us. Does anybody know? <laughs> Robert, I kind of on the. Um, you say we kind of dated for like a minute. Mm. Oh, well, we did. Okay, so we did a movie before that called uh, "Dangerously." Oh, "Dangerously Close." Oh my God! Like I said, I my memory, dude. What the heck? Anyway, we did another movie. Was it before or after this? Vamp. I think it was Amp. Oh my God, I can't remember. We did two movies, Vamp and another one. And for a minute, we dated, like, for a hot minute. But back then, everybody did that. I, and now I think they call it, not hooking up, but my son said there's a name for it where basically you just <laughs> you go out for one night and have fun, and then that, that's it. Oh, man, one night stand, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, see, in my book, that's a one night stand. I think Robert thought we dated for a minute. I viewed it as a one night stand. Anyway, I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but it's when I was giving shit now. Um, so he was great. He was he was very hot then. Remember, he was a hottie. Um, I don't know. Did he talk about him and Grace and how he couldn't find him on the set? You know, when I when I had him on it, um, because it was uh, about Nightmare on Elm Street two. So we um, okay because well, it was him and, um, and Mark Patton. Yeah, he was naughty. But listen, everybody was naughty. I think I was probably one of the few that wasn't really. I mean. I, I guess a little because I was just like free. I'm going to ask him now next time I have him on. Yeah. You say, so did he say something about they couldn't find you one day on set to <laughs> give your set call because scenes had changed and then the, the producer went to Grace's house and found you there and said, get your ass back to work. We need you. We couldn't find him because remember, there was no pagers. There was no cell phones. He wasn't at home to get his, his phone call for the work, but they found him in Grace's house. That got through and we were like, oh, you know, so, but then again, that was very eighties. Everybody was kind of in bed with everybody, except for yeah. me. I mean, I don't, I, I don't blame Robert Russell. So. I don't blame him. She's hot. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. She wasn't dating anybody. He wasn't, and you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he's funny. Robert's great. So to answer your question, he was um, Robert. I think what you meet today was what he was then. Very much. I could see that because I not I don't know him real well, but I've been around him at, at conventions, and and he used to just call on the show before we were video and we were just audio, and he would just phone into the show sometimes late at night. Oh, would he? So, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, tell him I said hi, and tell him I'm throwing him under the bus. If he don't talk about the stories, I will. I think Richard tells all the stories, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure Richie, because we have a whole uh, video or, mo- or something. We've done two now of the making of Amp. And these were where all the juicy stories are. Yeah. The making of Vamp is really uh, phenomenal. It's a it's a journey. Like when you hear about the making of Vamp, you're shocked that we actually finished the film because <laughs> it was just every day nuts. Something was going on every day. Yeah. Well, what were some of the the issues where you thought, oh, this maybe not, you know, this might not get finished? Oh, when the bonding company 
told Richard that they were going to take the film from him. He's a director, producer, and writer. Okay, so basically he's the big daddy. This vamp was his baby. And it, I think it was his first film, right, in my first starring role. So it was a lot of firsts for us. It wasn't Robert's or Chris's first, but it was just a, 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 a passion project. So when we were having trouble getting scenes into... Now remember, this was before HD or whatever we're filming on now. This was film. Yeah. Dude, people kind of don't understand. This was when we were, it's called burning film. It was literally film. And when you said action, the camera was rolling. That film is expensive. And once they say cut, it's done. And if that's not usable for whatever reason, you don't have anything. You have to go back. And film was expensive to buy, to, to uh, process. There was times when you get into the room and find there's a scratch in the whole reel. You'd have to go back. That means getting locations back. So film was very expensive. So they took it very seriously. If you couldn't get film in the camera every day, you just didn't have a film. So when the bonding company said they were going to threaten to take the film from Richard, Chris and I thought we would be big shots and be like, well, if they take the film from you, then we walk. (laughs) Like, you don't want to do that. You'll be blacklisted. We're like, fine, we'll get blacklisted. (laughs) <laughs> you know it never happened but i just remember looking back going "Ooh, i had some spunk <laughs> i don't remember having spunk but i guess i did because <laughs> i was gonna stand behind my director i was like because it's not his fault that sidewalks are caving and people are getting sick grace won't come out of the trailer she runs into the sound cart with her vibrator can't find <laughs> none of these things are Richard's fault why is she getting the film from him <laughs> Grace discovered ecstasy in the middle of her striptease. Come on, that's <laughs> oh, not right, yeah. Richard's ball, right? So I'm, I'm such an advocate for like what's right. That's why I'm a social worker, and I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> well, um, how how about you? So you're not sure what she's gonna wear. How about for the striptease? Is that like, uh, uh, is it just up to her to do whatever she wants to do? Oh, we waited and waited, waited. Yeah, this whole audience, right? And I think Richard started to go in and shoot stuff just to keep it going without knowing. He was like, just do it a few different ways. Pretend she looks this pretend, you know, cause we didn't know how the reaction should be cause we didn't have her yet. So she comes out and she's in a Keith Haring, Keith Haring painted her body. Again, I think she had coils again. Coils was the running thing. And then um, the chair, which was amazing and iconic and no one had seen the dance or her. So when she came out, Again, it was <laughs> when she came out, everybody, the whole audience, and then she started doing striptease. Like I said, she discovered ecstasy. So the, it went from fluid and sexy to kind of stiff and rigid and sticking to the chair because she was sweating and then her paint was coming off. It was just crazy. <laughs> but the whole audience of men and all of us were like this. <laughs> so Richard said he looked out in the audience and saw the reaction that he had to shoot that because it was so funny. And then, of course, everyone went into a clap. <laughs> Yeah, he actually shot the original reaction to the dance, which was <laughs> like the whole room didn't know how to react. But yeah. it's written this sexy, sultry, just no one had ever seen anything like it. Well, well no one had ever seen anything like it. <laughs> that is for sure. And it was sexy, but in a way that no one had ever seen. <laughs> in striptease, you think, I don't know, something else. <laughs> right, right. Again, that's what makes Vamp so special. Richard allowed it to be odd. He allowed it to be out of the box. He allowed everyone to be, uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, we like it. You know, he just allowed these moments that were organic. Um, Grace, I like to tell this story about her wig. 
her red $2,000 silk wig. It was actually blonde. They colored it red. Back then, no one had a $2,000 silk wig. (laughs) They're expensive. They look like real, like they look like real hair. It was blonde. They made it this red color, which I don't think Richard's, but it started down here. And because it was so red and processed, hairs started falling out. What you Mm -hmm. normally do is take that one hair out or you just clip the hair. Well, in between scenes, I'm not sure, but I think maybe people around here were also experimenting with (laughs) drugs of the time. Uh So it started literally giving her a trim after every take until eventually, I think it was Richard, someone looked over and noticed when we first started, her her wig was (laughs) (laughs) scene kept going and get shorter and shorter. (laughs) <laughs> somebody said get those people away from her what are, that's not gonna match like you know, continuity right you can't have a yeah. just go short as you're filming because that's confusing um in the editing room it's just yeah. you don't give hair trims in the middle of it. <laughs> but, um you would in a real life situation but not when you got filmed so right it, right I was thinking that was really funny because uh somebody said just get those people away from her <laughs> what are they doing <laughs> Yeah, you said, uh, you said no one can find Chris uh, make peace. So, w- w- when was the last time you've heard f- heard from him, dude? He's like, I don't, I don't know. It's well, he's Canadian, which makes him good mm-hmm. people. I love Canadians. I love all people, but Canadians are just they're so sweet. Um, last time I heard from Chris, it was shortly after Vamp, and I think we did some interviews. Uh, that was it, and I think maybe I talked to him once after that. Um, and then gone. And then I kept hearing how Richard couldn't get a hold of him or maybe heard him from email or something. It was like a little bit and then nothing. So I don't know. I hope he's okay. Yeah, we hope he is too. Uh, Steven here in Toronto, speaking of Canada, he, uh, Steven's a good guy. Uh, what was your, um, did you enjoy your role in into the night? It's one of his favorite films. Oh, Stephen! That well, that was my very first role. Into the Night is a great story of how beautiful John Landis and my sister are. I have been interviewing at the time. You couldn't get a SAG card without getting a SAG interview for a SAG project. You couldn't get the SAG interview without the SAG card. So mm. it was called Catch Twenty Two. Everybody went through it. It was really hard. So long story short, you would buff out your resume and make it look like you're SAG, but you're not SAG. Meaning union. So I got an interview. Slithered in there, not being sad, got a role after a couple of years of struggling and went home, said, oh, my God, I got a role. It's so exciting. And then my agent called me back. Yes, on the rotary telephone. That was how far away of the past was and said, you're sad, right? And I said, no, that's been the problem. Don't you remember? He said, oh, shit, let me call you back. Sure enough, he called me back and said they gave they gave the role to the girl behind you who they also really liked. But she's sad and you're not. Cost the production money to Taft Hartley you into the union. Mm-hmm. So basically they gave me the role and they took it back. I was pretty devastated. Shell was doing um, into the night at the time with John Landis and Jeff Goldblum and went and told John that story. Cause she was pretty pissed off. She was like, that's just messed up. I was pretty devastated. Um, and then cause it was like, I got it. I finally got through that catch 22. And then, yeah. So John said, Oh, that's bullshit. Tell her to show up on Friday night in front of Fredericks of Hollywood, looking like a $10 hooker and I'll give her her sad card, you know? Uh-huh. So I showed up on a Friday night on Hollywood Boulevard with my trashiest clothes, which wasn't difficult because I was disco dancing then. And um, I looked too cute and he, they smeared my makeup and messed up my hair because, of course, my version of a hooker looked like, you know, cute at a dance club. And they trashed me up and then um, they just he just looked at me and said, look at Jeff and say, um, 
you want to date and look at your sister and ask her if she wants a party and told me I'm probably going to cut it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, film's too long anyways, but this way you can get into the union. Well, I didn't have the money to pay for the dues to get the actual into the union. So John then also gave me voiceover work to help me pay for the actual card. And here's the best part. When he put the film together, he called me and said, I'm leaving your scene because it's so funny. I have to. So I want to let you know, you got your SAG card, you got in the union and you're, and you're, you're going to be in this film. So, oh, that, so that is a story of my little, little teeny, amazing little role as a $10 hooker and in into the night. Yeah. Very personal. It very is. Personal role, yeah, that's yeah. another little baby of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of one of those, that idea, LC Films and Entertainment uh, wants to know, what's your favorite and most uh, memorable TV show to be a part of? Um, well, Vamp, honestly, and I'm not saying it's because I'm on your show. You, if, you, if you follow any of my interviews, you'll hear me mention Vamp a lot. Mm-hmm. It's my first starring role, and it really was a hard film to do. But the fact that Richard and Chris and Robert and everybody we had, and Getty, Getty, you know, we had such great outlooks. Everyone had such a great spirit about them. Um, we never really went to that negative place. We just were like, okay, let's go with it, you know. And um, and it was my first starring role, so it was like my baby. I would say for sure, Amaretto and Vamp. Um, and I'm gonna say she. Denise right now on Big Sky and I'll tell you why because it's the first role I'm doing and when I say sober that I never drank during work you know pregnancies or during school or anything in college um it it was always after you know but that was enough you know um so I'm playing Denise I play Denise sober so it's like it's she's one of me um I'm aging. That's always really fun. Says nobody. So I'm having every day to look at myself on camera and go, when the hell did that happen? When's all this shit going on? Right. But I have to embrace all this stuff that generally is really hard for a woman. So Denise, I get to do that with Denise. So I'm going to say right now, um, and not smoking, not drinking and playing someone sober, almost 60. <laughs> we good. look very good. And I'm not just, you know, being nice. Thank you. But guess what? There's this thing called the zoom filter i discovered it yeah <laughs> sometimes i sit there and stare at myself going girl you are aging you need you're gonna need a little work here <laughs> no i do you start obsessing you start looking and you're like what the fuck's going on what doesn't mean that? <laughs> i have a birthday coming up next month in a couple weeks you gotta wear that hat because that's a great hat Oh, yeah, it's hand-painted. Uh, my friend Annabelle painted this set. I love it. She was also a social worker, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hey, man, there we go. Yeah. And she painted this, too. I uh, didn't have room to put it up, but we'll show it here. This oh, wow. Norman Bates. She gave it to me for uh, my birthday a few years ago. That's beautiful. But, you know, when, you're, when your hat's not close up, it looked like a bunch of um, peacock feathers. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a bunch of weird uh, horror characters. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. Either way, it's really cool. I was, the whole time I was thinking, I got to tell him this hat is cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I was trying to ca- Oh, by the way, uh, Stephen Butler says Chris uh, Makepeace was the star of Meatballs. Yes, yes. And it wasn't a My Bodyguard put him on the map, right? Oh, okay, yeah. My Bodyguard was like the where we all knew who he was. And me, yep, yep. Chris, we love our Chris. If he's out there, hi, Chris. Whoa. Yeah. Get in touch. We'll have you on the show. No, dude. And I'll get you in touch. Yeah, you can uh, reunite. Yeah. 
Now you mentioned uh, Getty uh, Watanabe, who's in all kinds of uh, movies of the of the era. So uh, how fun is he? He seems like a very fun person. Okay, that is Getty. Yeah, you, you see him in the movie. That's Getty. He is always cracking jokes. He is one of the funniest mo- men I know. <laughs> he um, <laughs> he improved a lot of that stuff. I'm in the mood for love. You know. <laughs> As they're naked. I mean, that's like, I'm pretty sure that's all him improving. And that's how he is. Um, I love people who are quick on their feet. I love people who can laugh and at themselves or the situation. Getty is just an amazing soul. Like, you know, he's good to the bone, to the soul. I love Getty. Hi, Getty, if you're out there, I miss you too. Kind of <laughs> making me want to call everybody. Although I don't have Yeah, any- well, that's good. That's I good. Remember, though. <laughs> We well, yeah. Well, well, I was just saying we find for you. That doesn't make any sense. But, but, uh, uh, Tommy on Facebook, Tommy Kovac, uh, how is working with Tamar and Susanna Hoffs on the All Nighter? And does anything oh stand? Okay, the All Nighter. That's something a lot of people really love as well. My character on that. Again, the very light, you know, the very, uh, you know, back then we called them dumb blondes. I never believed in that. I, I played a lot of dumb blondes. <laughs> Right. Um, secret to my playing these dumb blondes is I never viewed them as dumb. As a matter of fact, I think they knew exactly what they were doing. And playing the dumb blonde got them what they wanted, which is pretty freaking smart, not dumb at all. Right? Mm-hmm. That's how I always played them. Um, tam- uh, that I met my boyfriend, <laughs> who was tam- uh, Susanna's. Okay, we start the film. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little dirt. We start the film. Jo- Joni Cusack was having issues with her boyfriend at the time. So I moved her in with me. I had a single apartment, literally a single, it was a room and a hot plate. And I moved her in with me. So the whole film, she and I were living in my little single with my cats. And then Susanna's ex-boyfriend was one of the band members named Louis Gutierrez in Lewis and Clark. They had broken up. So Susanna was messing around with the lead guy, John, and Lewis was cute and he was single. So, cause I clearly had no boundaries. Lewis and I started going out. Susanna was not happy, but I was like, dude, you're messing around with the lead <laughs> right. Just look at the stuff we did back then. I would never do that now, but then it was like, hey, man, I'll show you a ring on the singer. You're ring on. <laughs> so I guess I was naughty, just like uh, everybody else. So that was um, fun. She and I uh, did really well considering <laughs> I was dating her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, I'm trying to think. That was a... a, a to me, the, the, my only real memories was hanging out with Joni on that film because she and I, behind the cameras, did everything together. It was really fun to kind of have, like, we were like freaking frack. <laughs> does that ever cause problems on a set if, um, does that ever cause problems on a set if, uh, you know, you've dated an actor or they've dated someone else on the set? Well, yeah, I can't imagine Susan was very happy with me. Susanna was very happy with me. <laughs> Right. Fine. I mean, she's very sweet. I remember she saw me at a convention years later and she was fine and said hi to her and her mom. We're over it. Right. But I, oh yeah, listen, you don't want to do the stuff that we were doing. Of course it creates drama. I mean, I think it's a matter of who you're messing with. Right. I mean, right. she kind of couldn't get too mad at me. Cause I'm like, you're, you're sleeping with the lead actor right in front of your ex-boyfriend. So I'll just go take care of his wounds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're young somehow that makes that math makes sense right 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 i don't think she was very happy with me but she kind of couldn't really get too mad because i'm like you started all this i just jumped in (laughs) i just helped perpetuate the drama behind (laughs) the cameras you know um but when you think about it when you're in your 
20s, nearly 20s and stuff. And then in the 90s, 80s, whenever the heck that was, what was it, 80s? Was that 80s or 90s? A long time ago. Um, uh, rules were different. We also didn't have social media. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. That's true, too. Yeah. Every, nowadays, everything is out oh. there forever. And, oh, yeah. They film that and blast it, and then you're done, right? Because then whatever happened on the set could only get out from word of mouth. And you know what happens with operator, operator, right? Right, it, yeah. Sorted where I was the bad guy or Susanna was the bad guy or Lewis or the lead guy, you know, who knows what version got out there. And it generally didn't ever go too far, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it went far where it hurt your career, where it got into the press, uh, that's a good rumor. That went fast and furious because generally they kind of died out like a like a ember. Um, only really sensational stuff hit the press, really, for the most part. But like me messing around with her ex-boyfriend really wasn't like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a Turk says, it's a, what a fun interview. I'm enjoying this. And uh, he sends in a question. Uh, who is Dee Dee's favorite publicist in the world? It's <laughs> <laughs> not a loaded question at all. Turk? Uh, not a loaded question. Turk is my publicist. Hi, honey. Turk. And that's why I call him Turkey. Listen, if anybody needs a publicist out there, you gotta, you got to call Turk Entertainment because he's my man. Literally, anyone who can deal with this crazy woman is amazing in my book. And can I say that Turk was responsible for getting me the cover of Recovery Today, which oh, is like Vogue in the fashion world in recovery. You know what I'm talking about, Recovery Today? Yeah. In recovery. Turk was responsible for getting me that cover and that interview. And I'm about to cry. That really meant the world to me. And not only me, but everybody out there in recovery and those who are maybe thinking about yeah. recovery. And that was Turk because he loves me and he cares about my recovery as much, if not more, than my publicity for Big Sky and, and everything else. So he's That's very, very commendable. Uh, AJ says, such a sweet, positive free. take on life. Ask him if I can get next month's free. That was a good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, AJ says, such a sweet, positive take on life. This interview has uplifted my mood. It's very Thank nice to you. see. Oh, that's so sweet. That goes right to my heart. Uh, I want to ask about uh, the horror show with Lance Henriksen, if you have any uh, memories of that. I'm a big fan of Lance Henriksen. Oh, Lance. Can I tell you, he is, again, such a, an amazing man, an amazing actor. Um, I remember when my character was there with the jinky baby. <laughs> <laughs> Out of context, it sounds really crazy. <laughs> right. But I'm his daughter, and I'm in this bed, and I have the janky baby that comes out through my tummy, and it's pretty gross. It's pretty perverse yeah. now looking at too. But my body was down below the bed. That was a makeshift thing. And then they had the fake body with the janky baby. And there was a man between my legs with the face going through the belly. Uh-huh. Anyways, he was there. And I was, I'm not sure having, I was having a moment where I had, crying was a big issue for young actors. That was always our fear was not to be able to cry on cue. My biggest fear going up on your lines, messing up a take because it was film expensive they didn't they get really mad at you if you went up and um not being able to cry on cue which is the same thing you messed up the take right um so there's a a lot of pressure and i remember i was i couldn't cry and i had to cry and lance just held me like i was his own child and he was so amazing just has been so sweet to me and nurturing made me cry (laughs) so if I was at all good in that movie, that was because of Lance and his nurturing and amazing ability to give to other actors everything he has. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Lance's uh, book is great too. If anyone out there's uh, never read it, not bad for human. It's a really oh, good book. 
Oh, Lance has a book? Yeah, his autobiography or biography. It's great. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's amazing. It's really interesting. Um, it's in his book, so it's I'm not you know saying anything. Uh, he he learned to read like when he was in his twenties. He was a uh, you know illiterate. Hey, I didn't. I, I was just told I was dumb in school because back when I went to school, I was born in '64. You do the math, right? My mm-hmm. school years, we had groups: group one, two, and three. One were the ones that were smart. Two were the average kids, and three was well, people like Bobby who ate paste. <laughs> right, right. I was always with Bobby, which of course makes sense now why I'm an advocate for people like Bobby who eat paste. <laughs> I hold them all close to my heart because I know what it feels like to be looped with a bunch of people and, and considered less than or lower mm-hmm. than. And so when I got into college, they saw how hard I was trying, but something was amiss. So the first professor I had said, you need to go get assessed for learning disabilities. And sure enough, I have a processing issue. I have dyslexia and uh, something else where they accommodated it. And I went from barely, barely passing to A's with accommodations. And then I looked over at my sons and I realized, oh my God, they have the same thing. Had them assessed. They had accommodations. And then they went up. Their grades also flourished. But forget about the grade for a minute. Their self-esteem yourself yeah. their value then they realize oh i'm not dumb which is a stupid word anyways okay wait, i just said stupid and dumb in the same sentence anyways it's not a very kind word to say dumb or stupid but because having a learning disability just makes you different not any less smart because then how do i get a's and you get a's but i need a little extra say uh, scaffolding right i need to be taught a little differently because my brain works mm-hmm. different but i can still get the a the answers are still the same, right? They're still the right answer. So I get what, what uh, and good for him to, to say that out loud because um, sharing that with other people makes them feel less, um, less than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I like to share my story of disabilities. Cause. Yeah. I recommend the book. He's it's also, there's some funny stuff in there. Uh, someone who he's been married a few times. So he says people oh. sometimes why ask why, like he'll do some, you know, big movies and it's not, and he calls them his alimony movies. He's like, sometimes you just have to do a, a few movies. To- Dude, I've been married and divorced three times. I know. <laughs> don't, don't even get me start on that one. Lance and I could have a long conversation. Yeah. And I'm the breadwinner. So I, I understand. Listen, state of California, they don't care what gender you are. If you're making the money, you're fucking obey. <laughs> but, you know, that was a financial, all my divorces kind of hurt me financially. And I did have to start all over again. But, you know, that's, it's okay. There's something kind of beautiful about a rebirth and then and, and changing the trajectory of your life. And maybe looking back, the only time to look back is to hmm, see what you did. that Maybe now you can do differently mm-hmm. and then leave it back there. And then change the trajectory so you don't make those. I'm not going to say mistakes again. I don't think they're mistakes as much as they're learning mistakes. If they're learning mistakes, they're not really mistakes, right? Yeah. But I'm not. I probably won't ever get married again. Right. <laughs> it's too expensive because yeah. the laws are still the laws. <laughs> Sorry to let all the all the guys out there now. But. Well, that doesn't mean I won't date you. Right, right. right. There you go. There you go. Half yeah. a single. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I read that you auditioned for uh, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, but uh, it didn't come apart. Maybe it's not even true. I read about this. I read this on IMDb. Did I read for it? Yeah. Oh, that you, auditioned, that? you auditioned for, uh, for Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. And I didn't get it? Yeah. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to break the news for you that you're, you haven't gotten the role. <laughs> 
Okay, let's get something straight here. Uh-huh. I counted all everything that I read for and didn't get. I got a pen for uh-huh. each time. All of those nasty divorces would feel a lot better because I'd be shit rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, part of uh, what we do is learn to hear no a lot. Um, I'm sure I read for it. I read for everything. That's what people yeah. go, how is it that you chose that role? I go, I didn't choose it. I read for it. <laughs> and I took everything I got. That's how I chose my work. If I read for it and got it, I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I, you know? Yeah, because I believe that work is important. Also, uh, I had a great acting coach who said, like, if you have writing that's not so great, that's okay. Because then you have the opportunity to, um, you have the opportunity. <laughs> See that tail? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's the puppy. That's the rescue. Um, you have the opportunity to use your chops. It's easy to make good writing good, right? It's good writing, but when you got writing that's not so great, it's kind of like taking the phone book. You should be able to read the phone book and make it interesting, right? Same Mm -hmm. thing with writing. Just take it up, chew it up, and spit it out because that's the difference between a really good actor and someone who has to rely on um, everything around them being as good, if not better, than they are, right? That's easy. That's easy, but yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously the dog, you, we talked about this before we went live, wants to go for a walk. So before I let you go, are you working on anything currently? Maybe a big sky. Sanity. Sanity. There you go. That's always a good thing to work on. Um, you know, I'm not different than everybody else in the sense that I'm trying to figure out how to be a real person again after, I'm not going to say after the pandemic because we're still going through it, but it's different now. Um, you know, it's different now. So, and I have to remind myself, like, it's, times are changed now. So it's like, we have to grieve how we once were. We have to grieve that because that's over. It's done. And mm-hmm. then embrace the newness of, of, of how, what life looks like now. Um, I wear a mask everywhere I go, right? Uh, I think twice before I go anywhere where there's going to be a, a, more than a few people in a room. I ask myself, they really have to do this because there's always a possibility I could get test positive in COVID and then I can't work for two weeks. And if I have to work in a week, then they have to rearrange the production. It costs money. You know what I mean? So, um, and then how about dating? Oh, I don't know how to start that. During, I mean, how do you do that now? I know people are doing it. Um, I'm going to wait a little bit. It's not like I have a thousand people waiting to date me, but one day, you know, I have to figure that out. How do you do that six feet apart with a mask? <laughs> um, so I'm just trying to stay sane. I'm trying to put together my awesome fan base and my set skills as a clinician and social worker um, and humanitarian. Put that somehow together in a format to help people on a larger scale when it comes to mental illness, of the um, trauma, substance use, homelessness, which is my area of concentration in college. And how about just getting through life in a way where you're part of the solution, not the problem, and what that looks like. Very nice. And uh, as Wang puts this very nice. Thanks, guys. This was so much fun. Uh, she's very inspirational. Oh, good. I don't want to be Debbie Downer or Dee Dee yeah. Downer. 
Dee Downer. That is it is a nice name, but yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah let's have Dee Downer on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's pretty freaking sad. I don't want to add to that. Go yeah. listen to that and come over here for a little dopamine, serotonin punch, and then go take on the night. I guess it would be right. Is it night? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's eight here. So uh, you follow. You can follow you on uh, Instagram. Yes, only Instagram. I don't uh, do Twitter because. I don't because I can barely do Instagram. <laughs> don't do Facebook. Um, I still call people on the phone. I know I'm old school. Oh, okay. It's uh, DD Pfeiffer official. Because remember, we don't know who the other DD Pfeiffer is. It was right, right, right. a thousand years ago making an Instagram yeah. and have no right doing so. DD Pfeiffer official. And please, yeah, because if you, if you follow me and you tag my pictures, I'll tag you back saying, like, I like you. I like that you like my picture. And yeah, I like to be interactive. Turk mm-hmm. But I do it. Sure. <laughs> this has been very fun. This was great to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And I love the hat. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll let Annabelle know. <laughs> yes. Tell <laughs> Annabelle beautiful, beautiful work. All right. And this, it would be fun to do again sometime. Let's do it again. Yeah. Because Big Sky is about to come back. And then we're going to uh, throw everybody into another tailspin. And if you want, I'll come back when it comes to towards the end. Because, you know, we're known for cliffhangers. We're cliffhangers. Yeah. We'll talk about. Yeah. Very good. And I can come tease your audience about what's going to happen next. That sounds very fun. All right. Have a good day and, uh, and uh, have a good time with the dog. I forget the <laughs> name, dog's name. Bye, Neil. Thank you. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you. I'm going to wave awkwardly as I hit end. I know. You see me? I'm like this. Uh. <laughs> I always feel bad, even though I know everyone realizes I have to hit end. But I always feel like oh, I'm hanging God. up on people. But All anyway. my interviews, I'm like this. <laughs> you're like, like every, I love at the end where you're like trying to figure out how to shut it off. I said, that's me really trying to figure out how to shut it off. <laughs> right. funny. I'm like, I'm really trying to figure out. How to... <laughs> 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 you know, thank you. I do have Thank you. Just like, you to... 